SuperThank is a Portland nonprofit promoting a million acts of radical community gratitude. The following stories of gratitude were told at an event on September 26th at Pencil Footwear Design Academy in Portland. The theme for the night was SuperThank, a joint for Black Portland. Here's Rukaya Adams, who organized and emceed the event. So tonight we are, I'm a Portland native, and I want to give a shout, we out here, right? We out here. Right, people are always trying to tell us we're not here. They're trying to erase us right in front of our own eyes. Yo, no, we're here. So this is an attempt to unerase ourselves, to hear our stories of gratitude where we're the protagonist. We're not just side parts in a story. I love storytelling hours. I go to the moth. I'm listening to them on the radio every Sunday morning. Uh, I love the super thank concept. And I just felt like, you know what? We're here. We have to be reflected. Big props to the super thank team for working with us. Let me tell you a little bit about us. We are a pain. I mean, we're beautiful, but we're a pain. So they've been very patient in selecting the venue and working with the storytellers and working with me. And so I really want to express my gratitude to the Super Thank team. If you're here, wave so we can say thank you to you for all the work that you've done. Thank you. Today we're thrilled to have seven personal stories of gratitude to share with you. Uh, historically, we know that Super Thank was intended to thank the unthanked. My view was that Black Portland is unthanked. It's underthanked. We came here and contributed toward the economy during the Industrial Revolution. We've been very productive citizens in this town. We planted cherry blossoms that bloom in the spring. We've contributed to this town, so I wanted us to be able to, to thank um, people in the community and, and, and the community as a whole. Um, by engineering the catalytic meeting of Black Girl Magic and Black Boy Joy, I hope that we can talk directly to each other in these stories and not have the filter of other people telling us what the story is, but for us to, to talk directly with one another. So tonight we have seven storytellers, Intasar Abioto, Stephen Green, Noni Kazi, Oz Du Soleil, Grace Andrews, Ifani Bell, and Trisha Tillman will run the anchor leg in the storytelling hour. But before they come in, I wanna tell you a story of gratitude of my own. My brother is not in the audience. And I want to say a quick story of thank you to him. I started my period when I was nine years old. So now you don't have to look at my vagina. You can think about my ovaries. But I started really young. So. And at the time, I, I was trying not to be trouble to my mom. She was working hard and like a super mom. Hey, mom, you're out there. And I had a little side job to the Portlanders. I was the bus girl at... Um, at a soul food restaurant on MLK and Lombard. And so I had a little money in my pocket and I got my period and in my mind I thought that it would be like blood flowing from me and that I would die from it, right? So I was terrified about this experience and the only person I could talk to in the house was my six-year-old brother. <laughs> so when I got my period, it was a summer day, it was hot and I was like, oh my God, oh my God, I'm nine years old, I'm not ready for this. We just studied this last week in school, I'm not ready for it. Um, so I go to him and I say, well, you know, what do I do? And he's such a sweet brother. He said, if you want me to, I'll go to the store and buy your maxi pads. <laughs> My six-year-old, I don't even know if he could read at that time, which is kind of crazy. So after convening with him, I decided I, I think it would be best for my emotional health and my burgeoning womanhood if you, little brother, went to the store to buy my maxi pads. 
So we went into my aunt's uh, cabinet and I tore off a box of maxi pads so that he wouldn't know what to look for even if he couldn't read in the section and we sent him into the Fred Meyer at Walnut Park which was at MLK in Killingsworth. So my little brother, I give him a few bucks, he goes into the store and he comes teetering out at six years old with a box of maxi pads but it was like a teeny box like that's not gonna last me four days I mean what am I gonna do with that so I had to send him back in his first attempt to buy maxi pads wasn't enough so we sent him back into the store and it was really brave and sweet of him to love me enough before he could read before he knew the stigma of being a man going to buy maxi pads he was so generous with me and and what I've learned from that experience is if you see him, you see my baby brother around town, please tell him I love him, that that was the first act of black love that I received from a man that wasn't social or sexual, that that was such a sweet act of love that my brother gave me. So I want to start the storytelling hour by telling you, you shouldn't be afraid to buy maxi pads, even if you can't read the boxes yet. And that if you do do that, your sister will love you and protect you and be down for you forever. So here's to brothers. Here's little brothers. So I have the privilege of introducing our first storyteller, Intasar Abioto. Um, she's an explorer, a photographer, a dancer, a writer. Originally, she's from Memphis, Tennessee, uh, with a research focus on the African diaspora. Her unique form of story inquiry is a way of life taken from her Portland to Berlin to Djibouti experience, seeking authentic stories from people of African descent. Welcome, Intazar. I've never really owned much in the way of things, like physical things. Um, the things, thank you. The things that have been that have been like most important to me in my life has definitely been like my artwork. Like it's been like my photographs. It's been like family documentation, documentation of friends, uh, documentation of Black culture. I started taking pictures when I was about 14 years old, and. And whatever money I had then generally always went towards like buying film for like for photo adventures. And so I kind of knew early on that like the documentation and the cultivation of black dreams and culture and existence was really important to me. I traveled far and wide for this for this self-imposed mission. In my college years, um, I caught myself in two separate occasions, like stuck in the Paris airport on like standby overnight without any money coming back from places in Africa like, like Morocco and, and, and like Senegal, like with nothing. And I did, I did figure it out. You know, I, I, had, I had like spent all my money going there. Um, or, or this other time when a contract payment fell through and like I was planning to go to Europe and only had a couple hundred dollars and I went anyway. You know, things like that that weren't maybe the, my, like the most financially astute or, 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 or safest, but, but you know, I, I was bent on taking these pictures of black people. And so I came to Portland in 2010 at the age of 24 
And what I brought with me were those same dreams and those and and my possessions, which was my cameras and my prints and my negatives from my teenage years, and my travels, my notebooks, like family photographs. I brought I brought my history with me when I came here in art form. And so in 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 2013, I started this project. I started to get out into the streets of Portland to document and photograph and talk to black Portlanders. This too was a part of my mission to, to document and like be a part of black culture. And I put these pictures online and people started to pay attention. One day, like a few months into doing the project, I get this email in my inbox and it's from a librarian and uh, introducing herself, telling me about the resources at the library um, and encouraging me in my work to connect with the community. It was Patricia Welch, another Portland librarian, and she was inviting me to uh, exhibit some of my photographs during the holidays. So I went to the library and, and I met her and I liked her from the jump. She was this enthusiastic black lady like myself. And I could tell by how she spoke about the library and how she spoke about the, the patrons, I could, I could tell that, that, that her work really mattered to her and I could tell that the black community really mattered to her as well. She managed it, or, or she, you get like, or she like managed the black, like the black resource uh, center, like, like, which is like a collection of over like 7,000 items, like African American, like literature, children's books, films, like music, that's like all focused on, um, on like black history and culture. And it's, it's like, it's just at, at the North Portland Library. So as like a 20-something black transplant here, it meant a great deal to me that she took the time to reach out to me. Um, it, felt, it felt like home, you know? It felt like black culture. It felt like black culture in Memphis or Baltimore uh, or, or in North Portland. So I exhibited um, my work at the library. It was the first place I ever exhibited any of my work. It was up there during, during, like, during like the Kwanzaa celebration. So I got to meet other people in the, in the community. So I left the, the exhibit there. It was due to be up for a couple months. Um, and I heard, I heard back from her in the spring. They had another exhibit coming in, so she was taking down my work. And it would be in, and, and, sh and she told me that it would be in her office and that I could just come get it. You know, and so I told her I'd be by, you know, and uh, a few days turned into a few weeks, a few weeks turned into a few months. Um, and so, you know, I was I was I was just really busy during that time, just kind of learning how to be a working like living artist. And so I would I would like see her out in the community and she'd be like um, she'd say, yeah, like she'd say, you know I still have your exhibit in my office. And I'd be like, yeah, I'm coming. I'll be there next week. I'm coming. But, you know, things were going on. I was like, I was, I was, uh, I was, uh, like, I was working on the state of black Oregon for the Urban League. I was traveling around the state trying to find black people. I was doing all the things. Yeah, I just, um, I just didn't get by. 
I was having a lot of visible success here in Portland around that time. Like, um, there were pieces about my work in Oregonian and Al Jazeera America and OPB and BET.com and things. But, but really, personally, I was really struggling during that time period. Right, the same year that my that I started the Black Portlanders, my family, yeah, like my family moved out of the city. And all of a sudden, I was houseless. Like, I, w- I mean, I didn't have any savings. I, um, uh, yeah, I, I um, yeah, I was, I was. And I didn't have any savings. I didn't have like a substantive way to support myself um, because, you know, like art and youth and dreams and all the things. Um, and so I stayed, so, so initially during that time period, I stayed with a few friends and I started temping and then I was like, I was working at like a candy shop on Alberta um, and I was slowly starting to be hired for my photography work. Um, and during that time, I lived all over Portland. I lived, I lived in North Portland, Southeast Portland, Canton. I lived in Gresham. I lived in Beaverton. Um, often at the kindness of older artists who had like rooms available, and um, and then kind of later just having the income to um, pay rent, you know. So that was my experience, and it was really hard, you know, having this kind of public all the things, but then also like. It was, yeah, it was hard. The fall of 2014, I got this phone call from a friend and telling me that um, a storage unit uh, where I had some of my, my possessions, so my prints and my negatives and, and, like, and my first cameras and family photographs, that it hadn't been paid for in time and it had been sold. The heartbreak that I felt at, at this kind of discovery was really immense. Um, it was, being honest, it was really more than I could take at the time. I was always taught that, like, black history and culture, like, knowing your history, your lineage, like, having a link to, to your life was really of the utmost importance. If you didn't have those things, then what did you have? I didn't have, I didn't, I, I didn't have, I felt like I had really lost myself in, hear, in hearing that, like, I, I just decided to keep moving forward, you know, I, that was really all the, what I could do, I could keep moving forward, and that's what I did. Um, so, early this year, um, the, and I guess in the winter of, of, of 2017, I get this, another email in my inbox from Miss Patricia. Um, and she's telling me she's retiring. She's about to have this, like, this, like, retirement party. And she's asking me if I can exhibit new photographs from the Black Portlanders to kind of close out her time there. And she tells me that um, she still has my, my exhibit there. And so... Um, I, so I go and, and I, like, I put up the exhibit and I, and I get my work and I get home 
and it's a um, portfolio. It's a portfolio of images. And I unzip it, and it turned out that what I had actually left at the library was prints, surely, and images like pictures of my family and pictures of my, pictures of my grandparents, uh, pictures of my grandfather that I thought that I had really lost forever. Um, notes and writings from my travels. So my thanks really goes out to Miss Patricia Welch, North Portland librarian, who housed my, my legacy and my artwork and um, my connection to my history at the North Portland Library on Killingsworth for three years while I went through uh, what was definitely the most challenging and heartbreaking at many times period of my life and personal development. Um, I want to thank her for her grace with me. I want to thank her for her long for for her decades long investment in the black portland community we definitely need i need uh people in the community who caretake and guard and advocate our stories our history and our legacy we need institutions that do so and so i'm thankful for her for doing that but i'm also thankful to her in a deeply personal way thank you Our next storyteller, recovering banker, venture capitalist, someone else I want to be like when I grow up. He got the entrepreneurial itch early on, starting his first business as a junior in college. Career has been spent in finance in Portland, helping firms big and small, figuring out the stuff they don't know and that they don't know. He's also the founder of Pitch Black. It's a pitch competition he started in 2015 to highlight black founders in regions across the country. Spreadsheets are his superpower, and sneakers are his kryptonite. Welcome, Stephen Green. All right, how's everybody doing? So first, I want to thank everyone for being here. Um, I am a lover of community. I think 99% of our journey in life is just showing up and being around one another. So please give yourself a hand. So my story begins this way. Uh, I was a college student. I had a serious girlfriend who would become my, my wife, Mrs. Green now, and we were doing what college students do, window shopping in the mall, holding hands, looking at stuff we couldn't buy. I was checking out this really dope Billy D. Williams shirt. It was a Colt 45 retro shirt. It was really tight. All of a sudden, she got really upset. She tosses my hand away. And I'm like, what's up? She said, you ashamed of me? No. What, what's, what's the deal? Well, whenever you see your black friends, you never introduce me. When did that happen? Well, when we were just upstairs, you said hi to that guy and you didn't introduce me. That, that's embarrassing. I didn't see a friend. I, oh, I gave that guy the nod, but I don't know that fool. 
She was confused. I said, honey, see, when, when you're black or Latino, like myself, and you see someone else, you give them the nod. It's an acknowledgement of our shared experience here in Portland. Right? Still didn't click with her. I said, okay, imagine everywhere you go, do, 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 do. You walk into a packed room, and there's a woman across the way. Now, she ain't your girl, but you acknowledge her. Today, my, my thank you is for the nod. Something we've all done, but never get acknowledged. The origin of the nod is hard to find. I was able to read personal accounts of slaves who were traveling the Underground Railroad and talking about the nod being a way that they would communicate with conductors that were helping them get to where they wanted to go. For me, the nod is how I found my Portland community. See, we moved here in 1977, me and my family from San Francisco. On that day, the black population of Beaverton doubled easily. <laughs> But in trips to school and stores and church, we would see other folks. A nod would be exchanged, and before you knew it, we'd be at their house having dinner. And ultimately, these people became family. Now, to this day, I only have three blood relatives in Portland, my parents and one of my brothers. But I have countless aunties, uncles, and cousins that are real family to me. All of this is rooted in the nod. The power's gesture seems the most when our numbers are at its least. The only other place that I've lived besides Portland is the east side of Detroit. There, the nod doesn't go over so well. And in fact, in some spots, it can get you hurt. Shout out to B. Wick and Mac, for those of you that know about Detroit. The nod isn't something taught in black churches. It's not seen in reruns of Fat Albert or mentioned in Jet Magazine. It's a family heirloom passed from generation to generation of black families who know what it's like to survive in predominantly white environments. My gratitude tonight is for one of the last things in our culture that is unequivocally ours. The nod is done in two different ways. Down and up. Or up and down. <laughs> I only do the up and down for my elders. Right? Oftentimes, there's an instinctual and almost inaudible sup. The only way to jack up the nod is to not do it at all. I recently started a meetup called The Black Signal. We get together around the corner at Deadstock Coffee, and it's a brief interaction where you come in, you get a drink, you get some dap, you get a nod. Check me out on Twitter, Black Twitter. I'll let you know.
an almost imperceptible salute that is swift, yet an intimate statement of solidarity between one another. And I owe it so much. That Colt 45 shirt that I looked at all those years ago, I think summed up the nod the best. It said, works every time. <laughs> Thank you. More stories of radical community gratitude will appear in Super Thank, a joint for Black Portland, part two.